Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening. Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world. This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hey, everyone. We're going to jump into the podcast in just a second, um, but I'm, I'm sitting here editing this episode now. Um, I've been working on this one for quite a while. I keep stepping away from it and then coming back to it because, to be very honest with you all, coming back to it each time, I'm, I'm sort of faced with my own uh, ego. I'm faced with it in full. And it's been it's been a little bit tough for me to face these things. Um, I'll just give you an example. It, at one point in this conversation, we talk about Gandhi, and you'll hear me make a lot of conjectures about things that I hadn't fully researched. Um, and then, you know, I went and did the research after the fact, and uh, I noticed that I was presenting things in a way that seemed as though I knew more than I actually did. And I think that this is a this is an this is a pattern that my ego has. It's a way that I've presented myself for a very long time. It's not very heart-centered and it's been hard for me to face that because this is an ingrained aspect of myself. It's, it's been something that I've done for a very, very long time. But going forward, you know, I would, I would like to speak less egoically. And yeah, I guess this episode has really helped me realize that. So... I wouldn't really look at anything in this episode from a perspective of gaining uh, necessarily factual information, but it it is a very interesting case study of the self, and maybe there's something for someone here to gain from just seeing this and studying this. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get this episode going, and um, thank you all for listening. I love you all. I appreciate you. You know, there's there's something that it, you had asked me last week. Mm-hmm. If it was, I can't remember the words that you used. I think you said something in line of it. It must be kind of trippy to see your kids now grown up, be the mom yes. and watch the development. And I was thinking, and I shared with you that it's, I love it, number one. I mean, I had you guys because I wanted you from the time I was, you know, pretty much in training pants, almost in diapers. Mm -hmm. And, but like I was thinking about it, it's, it's really funny. Like when you were doing the mic check and I see all these things about all three of you, but especially you, because right now where we're at in all three of you and your development, you're the most similar to me Mm -hmm. in personality and energy. 
the other two are are absolute contrasts. You know, they're very kapha. They're very earth, water, and more introverted, although Mars is definitely coming out in his extroversion more. But And then, of course, my mind goes to the comparison between your father and how he has been responding and trying to relate to you guys when, you know, the the few moments that you've actually seen him mm-hmm. in the last who knows how many years. And like my mind went to, it's interesting, like he missed out on all of these years. And even when we were living with him, he was missing out mm-hmm. as well. And his interaction, brief interaction with you boys of he really just wants to put himself into you. Mm. Mm. He's trying to, it's like his ego feels like, okay, this is my lineage and I have to share all my stories with them and talk about myself, my perceptions, my world, my family, my parents, my sister, my, all of that, like he did with Kyan. When he saw Kyan and he told Kyan, he spent the entire time with Kyan telling him about his family, mm-hmm. especially his mom. Mm-hmm. And I asked Kyan, did you learn anything new? And he said, no, he said exactly the same thing to me mm-hmm. that you have told me about his childhood, his mom, his dad, his sister, Everything that you told me, he told me in almost exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And I said, isn't that interesting? And mm-hmm. I said, because when, and I intuitively knew when I met him and when we, he and I were coming together and we got married and, and had you, I knew that I was collecting information for you guys about his family. And of course, I mean, I was shown when we were first together that he was going to leave. So it was like I was collecting information. So I was so carefully was literally just taking in his life story verbatim. Yeah. And I did and shared it with you kids. But the difference that I'm comparing here, when the couple of times he's seen you kids now as you're grown is I have to share as much of myself with them as possible Because clearly his ego, and this is my perception, clearly his ego is fearing that you guys have lost your connection with him. And so it's like, I have to to show them who I am. I have to tell them about my family. He's Hmm. He's not seeing this from the perspective of, oh, Sonia's a person who's incredibly detailed, has an incredible memory, is very communicative, and he wasn't paying attention during your marriage to the fact that I was constantly telling you kids stories about his family, my family, everything was included. I don't need to tell you guys any of that because I always have told you these things. You also were raised partially by my parents. They've told you all of these stories. I never look at the three of you. Here's my conclusion. I never look at the three of you and think, I have to talk about myself. Mm-hmm. You have to get to know me. I'm just being myself with you three. Mm-hmm. What's more important for me, and maybe this is the contrast that you three needed from your two parents. Mm-hmm. When I look at you three, I'm interested in your life. I'm interested in what's going on with you. 
what your discoveries are, what your perceptions are. I want to know who your friends are. I want to know what music you listen to. I want to know what your experiences are. What That's why when you guys would come back from school and I'm like, so what'd you learn today? What? Mm. Well, and it was never about what curriculum you were learning today. I didn't give a shit about that, as you know. It was all about what did you learn about yourself today? Who'd you interact with? What did you say? What was it, what was it like? What was your day like? And out of that... I've noticed that I'll see aspects of myself in you guys. Mm-hmm. I'm never going into my connection with you to see myself in you guys. It's just funny how I will see these characteristics or qualities or hand gestures or the way that you say them or like when I hear you sing and I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I can, like I'll hear you just do something and I'm like, yeah, that I, I can hear myself in that. And yeah. I can, and then my mind will go to all, when I was pregnant with all three of you and I was singing to you while I was, while you were in utero and I sang to you as from the moment you were born, I was always singing to you every day, everything we did. I had a song for every task, very Virgo rising. I had a song for every task that I did with you. We had a diaper changing song. Right. Yeah. We had a sit on the sofa song mm-hmm. we had a oh i had we had your we, the, i call them little ditties we had songs for you running around in the apartment through the kitchen living room with no diaper on you were naked from the bottom down and you felt free i had we had songs for everything mm-hmm. i had a song for every little moment and i would just sing life to you and then to like get to see you what you've done with that, mm-hmm. that's kind of like that. Or what Mars has done with all of the investment in art classes or all of the investment in Play-Doh and Crayola and markers and everything that we did. I did all of that. It's like to be able to see what you guys do with it and have done with it. That's what's really fun for me in literally being the creator and the co-creator of humans. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. And I don't look for it. It's just there. But then I see how you've put your own flavor on it, your own perception on it. Yeah. And there's the similarity and then there's the difference. It's like when you talk with people who've been adopted and they found their birth parents. Mm -hmm. And they have qualities of their adoptive parents simply from watching, from emulating the behavior or, or watching the behavior, but then they meet their birth family and all of the genetic similarities in that. And then my mind will like dissect. Well, interesting. Like with us, we have all of that. And so is there a difference with people who have been adopted? Like, is there like this fragmented, like, okay, so my adoptive parents, I adapted their behavior and I can see how I'm like them and the way that I hold my hands or the way I hold my cup or the way I speak because I learned by listening to them, depending on what age they were adopted at. And then, but we go to the birth parents and I know science has done comparisons on this. I've watched this in documentaries to see People who have been adopted and then they go to their birth family and they see where the genetics plays out. Mm-hmm. My mind just always goes to that. Anyway. I know that some people have different connections, though, in that regard. And I think that's really the most fascinating thing about studying people who are adopted versus people who aren't is you will find some people who 
really align so much more so with their adopted parents that they don't see a lot of the really much connection at all to their birth parents. And they're not really able to see even the genetic similarities when they are, when they meet with them. Like there are a lot of adoptive, uh, adopted uh, children who, if they do ever get the chance to see their birth parent, um, and you know, maybe this is, maybe this is because a lot of their feelings towards those parents are kind of masked through resentment or, you know, whatever it is, but the feelings and the emotions that people carry towards their, their parents really influence, I think more than anything, how much those people can call those differences of parents family. So oftentimes I find that with the healthier adopted families, it's really much easier for those children to align with those parents it's because they've been shown love and it's because they've been shown an open space within which they can grow they feel nurtured they feel developed and because they've had those key developments occur from you know and these are the children that i'm speaking to here people who are typically adopted from a very young age um because they've had those key developmental moments they i mean really it's almost no different to having been birthed biologically for them it's almost a one in the same experience. It's just, these are my parents and I love my parents. And then you know, if, you know, sometimes I'll hear about children who they will learn of their adopted parents, like, or they'll learn of their birth parents, like much farther down the line of their lives. Um, or maybe even just in, uh, you know, like teenage, early adulthood. And, uh, it'll just kind of be like a, Oh, I thought it would be something bigger for me, but it really wasn't, you know, that kind of a reaction. Like, I really thought I would care more about this, but I just really don't. And I find that to be very interesting as well. Yeah, I find it just, it depends on, first of all, looking at this from a quantum perspective, it obviously it depends on what the soul wants to experience in the life. Mm -hmm. And... I have met and I have had clients who've been adopted and I've met people who have adopted and I've had friends who have been adopted. Um, and I grew up with a family in the suburb of Minneapolis, Minnesota that I grew up in. I, um, they adopted both of their children. Mm-hmm. And I have really observed the full spectrum of different experiences. The, the family... Um, the Holands actually. They they lived across the street from us. Their daughter was the same grade as myself, and they adopted their daughter and their son. And their daughter was very much like the mom and the dad. Mm-hmm. They adopted both of them from intimacy, uh, inf- infancy. Mm-hmm. Her brother was nothing like the family. Mm-hmm. He was very dark, mm-hmm. very dark soul. Um, was kind of dangerous and ended up in prison. Hmm. And they adopted him from birth first. And he was nothing like the parents, but the daughter was just like them. Mm-hmm. And Nana, I remember Nana and Papa talking about this when I was a kid, but Nana in particular, she was very, in her very scorpionic way, she was very observational of hmm. that family. She'd make a lot of comments about them and she would like analyze them a lot and talk about that. And then she brought in the spiritual component. I mean, obviously I was, as I've shared with you many times, Colby, I, I was born and bred 
to be the healer that I am. I mean, I realized the at a very young age, the influence that my parents had on me with astrology, with psychology, with spirituality, with astrology, definitely. Oh my gosh, that played out at a very young age. And yet my parents never mentioned the word astrology. They never mentioned any of those words. Yeah. But it was very, very clear that it was in my, my contract, shall we say, for this life. Yeah. It was very much in my program, all of it. And it played out right away. And now I observe it from being, you know, in a much higher vibration and a higher consciousness. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I look back on my life and I see how, like, I literally started from infancy. All, all these components of my life now were actually had already begun from my infancy. We just weren't using the words quantum healing or mm-hmm. reincarnation or any of that, but it all played out right away. Yeah. Whereas with your life, I mean, you were born to parents who were in a much higher consciousness than For we me, already. I would almost say it was the complete opposite where I was raised in such an environment where I was so constantly surrounded with, uh, you know, different spiritual ideas. Um, and this, this environment of always kind of, uh, being exposed to all of these things created a, a constant questioning in me in the same way that it was created for you through sort of almost a lack of, of, exposure to different ideas for you it was more so like there was a one track path and you were like there's got to be something different you know like this doesn't feel right well i mean what was always being presented to me was don't listen to the church don't Mm -hmm. listen to dad don't Mm -hmm. my brother don't listen to dad he's speaking a bunch of bullshit Mm -hmm. go out to nature Mm -hmm. go to the trees go look at the sky that's your church Mm -hmm. don't listen to the bible it's false it's 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 missing things like my brother knew and so he was always like there's other things besides this. Yeah, so so for for me it was it was like I almost there there's so many similarities but at the same time it it was still different. It's like there's like a lack of centralized dogma, but at the same time it almost led to me having to kind of remove myself at a certain point from a lot of the a lot of the like spiritual ideas that that we had kind of aligned ourselves with uh, in our household, just so I could feel what it was like to not have that, and then feel what it was like to explore different things. And I I really think that this is where ultimately it kind of led me to this like very broad like. There is no sort of like one size fits all for spirituality. There's like, it led me to see, it led me to see the beauty in the Bible. It led me to see the beauty in Judaism and Islam, things that I had not really ever considered in that lens before because I was so focused on the negativity that is presented by members of those churches that don't really get the spiritual message behind it and in their uncomfortability with themselves and their relationship with their perceived God, they act out in a way that condemns and pushes others down because that comes from within them. 
But yet you find that in all these religions, there is a lot of truth, actually. There's a lot of truth in the Bible, and that truth tends to come out through people who have that sense of spiritual solidarity. And those people are typically very calm and not easily pressed when you, when you push them about their beliefs. They tend to be very calm and resolute, and they won't really act out in a way that's um, particularly volatile. Like, for example, when I was working at the farmer's market some, you know, a couple weeks back, there were some... Um, some evangelists that were there, you know, some, some, some really holy rollers, some, uh, uh, Westboro Baptist church types, you know, on the side of the street by, uh, the farmer's market across the way. And they were, you know, shouting, you know, the the usual rhetoric, like you all have to accept Jesus. You're all sinners, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, God is, God will condemn you to hell if you don't accept his love, which is the most contradictory and hilarious idea that one could ever come up with. And no Christian that I talk to that I actually have aligned with has ever spoken about that. To me, one of the most beautiful things about Christianity and something that is echoed in all forms of of religion is God's everlasting love. Because in essence, there is really nothing to the spiritual path but love and acceptance. And, And that's acceptance of all ideas. That's acceptance of everything. And... If you really do have a connection with God, like so many religious figures will claim, you won't feel the need to go out and try to bring others to your side because the confidence and the security that you feel coming from your position is all that you will ever need. It's all that you'll ever need because you just understand, you know, you've been there. There's no way to put it into words, there's no way to explain it. It's an actual religious experience, is to say, I just, I know, I, I know it's all fine. It is what it is. I know I'm going to live my truth. Yeah, absolutely. When, and going back to how, how I raised you and your father had a little bit of a hand in this in the beginning, how I raised you is to, first of all, question everything, mm-hmm. find the truth within yourself, love yourself. There's only love. And your job in uh, in this life, and this is for all three of you, mm-hmm. is to love yourself mm-hmm. so much and share your love with the world in your own unique way. Absolutely. And I've always shared that with you. Learn, explore, travel, see other cultures, learn different systems, learn about what people believe, learn these different parts of yourself, because we all literally are fractals of one particle. Mm-hmm. Learn, get Get diversity. We're here to be very diverse. Mm-hmm. Listen to people. And I haven't always been great at that. Mm-hmm. And I would say from raising you three, I have really learned how to step into that more. You three have taught me how to let go of the childhood programming from the fear aspect of the churches that I was raised in, being mm-hmm. a preacher's daughter. There's a lot of fear. Now, I, I will give Papa credit for the fact that his intellect, his moon and Gemini thirst for knowledge mm-hmm. has always pulled him out of any fear of anyone having a different belief than him. Mm-hmm. He loves that people have delif- different beliefs than he does Yeah, because he learns and he has an insatiable appetite 
for learning. Right. So he's, you know, I mean, that's why he always had the Japanese King version of the King James Bible, things like that. And he's always said to us, get to know people and, and learn about who they are as humans. So, I mean, when I was growing up, we went to Jewish synagogues. He made friends with rabbis. Mm-hmm. We did one Catholic sort of mass. We weren't Catholic, so we weren't allowed to be in it. But we went to a Catholic, we went to a cathedral. I remember that. We always went to different denominations all the time and met different people. I remember meeting um, in Chicago. I remember meeting a family. Well, we lived in the same house with the Yamagiwas who were from Vietnam and they were mm. Buddhist. Yeah. So Papa wanted to talk with them about their beliefs in front of my brother and sister and I so that we would be exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Easy thing to do when you're living in Chicago because uh-huh. it's so diverse. We had friends from every culture there. I remember um, my sister had a, had a friend that, who was Greek. Her, her parents were, were born and raised in Greece. And my dad wanted to talk with them about being Greek Orthodox and what that meant. And, and it was just, it, and so I wanted to raise you three. My intention was to raise you three in that way with that, but without it, any of it being under a roof. Absolutely. No institution. Yeah. So I took you guys outside. Yeah. And we explored all aspects of spirituality. Of course, was it through my lens? Yes, it was through my lens. Mm-hmm. But as I shared with you yesterday when we were driving back from getting spring water, I just took you with me to places like raw yeah. food meetups, like all the yoga studios, like, um, and then we went to East Seti Ranch when you were a teenager so that you weren't just hearing about the galactics from me and from your father. We, you know, we went and met James Gilliland and talked with all the people up there and we did Skywatch so mm-hmm. that you could make your own conclusions. And that was just, it was like, this is my normal life mm-hmm. and I'm going to expose you to all of this and you run from with it from there and you figure Absolutely. out where your I, life is with that. I never at any point felt a sense of dogmatic pressure. I felt at times when I was younger, alienated from my peers because I could tell that they were not necessarily ready to explore things in the same way that I had been raised. And when I was younger, there were times where I felt resentment for that. But the older I got, the more I valuable I saw that to be. Um, and especially, and I see in so many of my peers, um, oftentimes if they have a, a a bad religious experience growing up, it tends to lead to more of a wound that they have trouble resolving, whether it be with a certain ideology that maybe they can't see the positive side of, or a family member that they can no longer connect with because that relationship has been tarnished for them, or perhaps they just tend to abandon the sense of spirituality at all because their connotation with their particular religious experience is too negative for them to face that again. Those are things that I see. Those are wounds that tend to arise from um, and a, a traumatic religious experience. I never had any of that. Um, I had what I would consider to be a, a beautiful sense of exploration of what religion and spirituality meant. And ultimately, the older I got, it just became more meaningful and deeper, and it grew in its own ways. And would you look at that? You and I are still able to have a conversation without uh, 
any sort of damage having occurred there. So that should tell you something right there. It's a it's a positive thing. <laughs> it does. I, you know, I look at this in the in the from again from the wide shot. When you look at it, is is as we say in in yoga, we look at it through sources eyes, and you see the play out. Mm-hmm. In the ascension process, which is, it always happens, but we're in, a, in, a, in an acceleration of the ascension process currently as we move from one age into another. I see how the progression of going into this phase for beings, let's say, for all beings, where there was this, everybody has to be the same. Everybody has to believe in this one God and everybody, and, and mm-hmm. there, clearly there's a deep corruption in that. Absolutely. And now as we ascend out of that and come back into the, this different diversity in perception, but as oneness and respect our oneness and understand and really know, experience our connections but I want you to have different beliefs than I do because mm-hmm. that's how I'm going to learn. Otherwise, we're just bored if we all have the same Absolutely. perception. Yes. So as I see us moving the trajectory out of that and my incarnations, my lives where I'm, I'm popping in and out, having experiences over the timelines, and I come into my current family, the current life of the Wilders, and I see. I chose a starseed mother. And it's not to say that my father's not a starseed. It's just not a part of himself that he ever acknowledges. Sure. I truly now do feel that he is a starseed. He's just not ready to see that part of himself. He's mm-hmm. too busy working on loving these other aspects of himself that he's judged over multiple lifetimes. Because he's, mm-hmm. very, he's very judgmental of himself. Mm-hmm. And very limiting. And yet his higher self comes in and goes... Remember that moon in Gemini, you want to learn and connect with people. Sure. <laughs> so I see my mother having a lot of fear. She matched in vibration to my father. Again, another person was a lot of fear. It's a vibrational match. But she had this very macrocosm perspective. Jupiter and Aquarius. Jupiter and Aquarius. And it's and and I we got to give the Venus and Sag some sure. credit too. Venus yeah, and Sagittarius yeah, credit and a Saturn. She has the fire trine, so the Saturn and Aries. Yep. Yep. And then uh, I believe they're both under uh, Pluto and Leo. I'm pretty sure they're both under Pluto and Leo. Yeah, they are because I was born under. Yeah, they might be. I have to look that up, but I'm pretty sure they're mm-hmm. they've got a Leo back there in the back mm-hmm. in the back uh, planet. So anyway. She's somebody that she, you can tell her anything and she's fascinated and she says, I believe that could be possible. Tell Mm -hmm. me more about your perception on that. And Mm -hmm. you can have an infinite conversation with her Mm -hmm. and we could growing up and she just, she wanted to know all different perceptions, anything new. It was fascinating to her, Mm -hmm. not him. Only with his children, though. Mm-hmm. Only with his kids and his family at home, it had to be very control. Taurus, it had to be very controlled. 
We had we all had to do this one way. We had to live one way. But as soon as you got him out in public, he was accepting of everybody. And there's Mm -hmm. the moon in Gemini contradiction. And I see as I came in as the youngest child in this family of five, as the observer came in with a level of consciousness that they did not have. And I'm seeing everything and analyzing it, talking with the guides, perceiving it, and then going, okay, clearly, we've got to take these aspects out of this family unit, and we have to take that out of it and amplify that. And clearly, there's a lot of junk. There's a lot of, a lot of junk DNA in here that needs some healing. Yeah. And clearly, I agreed to come in and do that healing with the junk DNA. And so I'm doing that. And then I chose before I came into this incarnation to be a parent. Mm-hmm. And so I take this, this, all right, this aspect that Nana gave me of let's just diversify. And I said, and I literally look at the patterns in my life, in this current life, and I'm like, oh, I was totally set up to raise you kids with a very broad macrocosm perspective mm-hmm. and then take these aspects, these components of what you learn from your external holographic reality and make it very microcosm for yourself so that you can find your own di- diversive perspective of it and then take that. And if you choose to have your own children expand it from there. That is what I see as is really the ascension process Mm -hmm. of us going from one thought to multi-perceptions. And it could take a longer period of timeline or it could take a shorter period of timeline, just depending on what the rest of the collective, where they're at in it. But this is what, and where I'm going with this is, Mm -hmm. this is how I see Myself and us and our family is being that term way showers Mm -hmm. because we came into the religious family and there's a lot of, I mean, most families on this planet are religiously influenced, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, all the politics. We came into it to heal it, to shift it and to bring it back out into infinity. Mm-hmm. To make it infinite, infinite, instead of the finite, which is what it's been. There's one God, there's one way, Jesus is the Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that billboard as I'm, as I'm driving back to, you know, Junction City and it says, when you die, you will meet Jesus and you will be saved. <laughs> and it's convincing oh, you. Yeah. I, it's convincing I it you. Was, when you die, you will meet God. Oh no, it's you will meet Jesus. That's okay. what it says. You will meet. There's Jesus. one that I saw that was like, when you die, you will meet God, and and I always think that's you know this is yet, yet again another thing. It's and and to kind of add to your your point about integrating all these different perspectives yet again. There's so much truth in that. Yeah, when you die, you will quote and I'm air quotes. You will meet God. You will meet Jesus because these are all just aspects of oneness. And when you come together, that is your understanding. Now, this is where the church has often deviated and gone down a path that I don't agree with, is when they put the implication there of, this is also where I think the control aspect comes in, when you die and meet God, 
then God will bestow judgment upon you. And their definition of judgment is that based upon how closely you follow their rules in this life, that influences the judgment that God will bestow upon you. And and I just have not found that to be the case. I, I have found from my own experiences that the the experience of death and meeting with God it results in a reflection of everything encompassing life and it is completely absent of any kind of moral judgment of any kind because moral judgment is something that we created with the ego and it does not exist in a post-life landscape in death there is no and this is something i have become very assured of not because of research but because of my own experiences with having death-like experiences and the more death-like experiences i've had the more i have realized and become comfortable with the idea of death because i realize how much human ideology is put into the concept of death we think that when we die, there's something to fear because fear is the expectation of negativity that we create in our life. But in death, there is no such thing as negativity. There's an understanding of it because it's something that's created, but it, you don't feel it. You don't feel negative when you die. You don't feel judged when you die. You just, you, you are, you're everything and nothing at the same time. It's like, okay, there's, there's nothing, there is nothing to, there's nothing bad to happen. It, it doesn't exist. And it does. It's, it's, it's not an experience that can be put into any words, which is where the church fails. It, it, everything is what you want it to be. I have died. Mm-hmm. I have had near-death experiences. My body has literally like given out. Mm-hmm. And I have risen up out of the body. I've seen the silver cord that your soul has is attached to the umbilicus of your physical form. Mm-hmm. I have seen that in out-of-body experiences that I have deliberately practiced for years. I started had, having OBEs, out-of-body experiences, when I was a teenager mm-hmm. and saw that again. And when I had my death experience in October of 2015, when we were calling it upgrading or migraines or whatever, it was not any of that. It mm-hmm. was it was definitely a death experience. Mm-hmm. and. My heart stopped and, you know, I was hearing Nana was in the room, Papa was in the room and I was hearing them both saying, you know, maybe we should think about bringing her to the hospital. I was hearing that. What happened, and this happens every time I have an out of body or if I'm coming back into the body from astral travel at night, it's all the same thing. It happened when I had my psychedelic experiences. It's all the same experience. Mm-hmm. I separate from the body, being the soul, the energy, the perception that I am, the consciousness, and come to this absolute knowing, oh, I'm the one creating all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my death experience was, it was, I was shown right away, simply also because he was in the same room with my body, mm-hmm. was, oh, and I said this in, within myself, oh, interesting that 
you chose to express yourself through dad mm-hmm. as a way to help you to heal that part of your masculine. Mm-hmm. That immediately was reflected back to me. Dad is you. There's no separation. And and just to clarify for uh, any viewers, what what was the nature of this death experience that you're speaking about? Like what happened? I was having a huge spiritual upgrade, Mm -hmm. a huge spiritual shift. And it began when I was teaching yoga at Planet Granite. Mm -hmm. It was in 2015. You had just moved out. Mm -hmm. Kyan had the bedroom that the two of you shared. Mars had, uh, Mars was M at the time and non-binary. Mars had their room. Mm -hmm. And I began feeling that morning, it was on a Wednesday, because I was teaching two classes back to back. I began feeling that morning like I was not in my body fully. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that all of my senses were hypersensitive and they're already hypersensitive, but way more than usual. I taught the first class from 5.30. It was uh, 75 minutes. It was a hot class. I noticed that I started feeling like I was moving to the side of my body and couldn't get in it. And all of a sudden, my sense of smell was so sharp that everything smelled like death to me. Mm. And I suddenly could hear the bones in my body moving around and could feel all the bones in my feet. I could hear everybody's thoughts. I could hear people parking in the, in the street three stories down because the yoga studio is on the third floor in Planet Granite in mm-hmm. Portland. I could feel my hair growing from the follicles mm-hmm. and it was painful. I suddenly could feel my nails growing and it was painful. Everything I touched hurt. Mm-hmm. My nerve endings were too sensitive. Everything was too sensitive. I started seeing flashing light in my eyes and I had a hard time opening up my eyes because if I opened up my eyes, I felt like I was being stabbed by light. Mm-hmm. It was artificial light. Everything was hurting and I had to teach the second class, which was the very beginner class, Yoga 101. Yeah. That was an hour. It was one of the most excruciatingly painful experiences of my life. Mm. And I was having a hard time breathing, like expanding my diaphragm was painful. And I was asking the guys, what's going on? And I heard, finish up and you have to go home and go to bed. I had to drive home that way. Yeah. That was painful. I felt every bump, everything. I was having an experience that of being oneness with everything around me, but it was it was like somebody turned the dial on way too high on all my senses. So I got back to Wood Lake. Kyan understood telepathically what was going on with me and was standing in the doorway. And I got out of the car and I said, get me to the bed, get me to the bed. I said, I'm upgrading, it's bad, it's bad. And he said, I know. And he was always my caretaker. It was just natural for him to do that. And I got to the bed and I put my phone down because I was trying to text Sonia, but I couldn't look at the phone because the light on the phone was hurting my eyes. All artificial light was bad. And for the next seven days, I proceeded to go through a death. And it was an upgrade. It was so intense. I had fever and freezing, hot, cold, hot, cold. Um, Mary West, my shamanic friend, healer friend from Light Song School, she was called um, on day three. Um, my friend at the time, Marie, who had just gone through nursing school, she was called. 
Sonia was called. Nana and Popper were called. We even called the guy who was dating at the time to come down from Washington. He'll remain nameless. He was called. He came down at the end, and he's the one who helped me through the, through the rest of it. And for seven days, I couldn't eat. My senses were so heightened that every little move, every little sound was painful to my physical body. I felt everything. I could hear the neighbors next door. Mm. I could hear when people were driving past. I felt tires on the pavement. And I was like begging, begging to turn the dial down. It was too much for my body. I was like, this is too much for this little body. This little body can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And I could never get comfortable. So I couldn't fully sleep. So I was brought into this chamber above my body. And I heard voices telling me particular things. And I felt like I was on a ship. Then I saw this fragment of rainbow that looked like it was in a piece of broken glass. And I heard, here, give this to your chakras, feed your chakras with this. And that happened several times. It was such a mishmash of different experiences of opening my eyes and I all I saw were strobe lights. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't see. I was blinded and all I saw was a strobe light da, 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 at my eyes. Um, my hearing, I was hearing high pitch frequencies all the time. And so I lost a lot of weight. And then um, on the day when Mary West came was when my heart stopped and she called Nana and Papa and said, you need to come over here. I'm not quite sure what to do with this. She came for two days in a row, I remember. It, what we concluded was that it was an upgrade mm-hmm. that was too intense for my body to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had several deaths. I have experiences, cognitive experiences that were galactic. I was on ship. I was talking with beings. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a ship. Mm-hmm. and. When I came out of it, I looked very different. Mm-hmm. Um, pictures were taken before, like selfie shots, and then pictures were taken after. I looked very different. I had a very different perception. I had everything had kind of changed. I had a different perception. I had a, a different view. Um, I, what I feel like is that my higher self was shifting my entire system. and they overdid it. Mm-hmm. But the result of that, and that was after I went to Brazil to John of God and did the healing and that, I mean, I had psychic surgery when I was there and that was a different thing. But after this one in October of 2015, I was way more psychic mm-hmm. than I was before. Um, it was, I had the ability to help people on a very different level. Mm-hmm. But what brought us into this conversation is as soon as I am no longer in my body, I am immediately in the space of, I am God. I'm creating all of this. Absolutely. And it's yes. all happening right now. Mm-hmm. There, are, there is no linear time. That's a concept. That's a human third dimensional concept. It's not a reality. Yeah, absolutely. We run programs. The brain is running programs. And so what program do you want to run? Because you can program to the love program. Mm -hmm. You can run the love program. 
And it's more compatible with your entire system to run the love program. The fear program is incompatible Mm. with the human system. I I don't think that it's incompatible. I mean, I just don't think that's the best word to describe it from my perspective. Nothing is incompatible. There's reason for everything if you look at it from that perspective. It's just... Do you want to go through more pain in your life? Do you want to feel more like you are suffering? Or do you want to feel more peace and more ease? That's how I look at it. And I think that there's nothing wrong with someone choosing to feel more pain and suffering. And I think that that's because ultimately they'll come away with it with the same. I mean, when they die, they'll be like, oh, okay, I guess this was just another life where I was, you know, feeling pain and suffering. And like, that's cool. It's you learn a lot from that. It's it's an experience. It's it's drama. We like drama. We like to we like to to act and to and to pretend and to have grandiose experiences in this life because to feel such a such a surge of emotions such as um you know pain or fear is really uh it's a rush. It's it's a giant adrenaline rush to feel those things and uh, you 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 feel more uh, quote unquote alive than than any other type of experience you feel more your nerves are on fire and so it's like i think that i think that soul souls choose that because they like that you know it's like why else would you do it i want that i want to experience that so that's just as compatible as a love program it's just uh depends entirely on where you are and what you want and uh you'll you'll choose love if you want it I found for this body that I'm in in this life, the fear program is incompatible with it. I have found that the love program is very compatible with this body. I have also learned, and it's literally the gift of giving birth to babies. Mm -hmm. It's from giving birth to all four of you because I gave birth to four babies. And the third baby, birthing a stillbirth, was actually one of the greatest gifts of my life. And I actually knew it at the time. I learned through that birth, which I did on my own, I learned through that birth that pain and fear are two different things. Mm-hmm. The ego fears the pain, mm-hmm. but that there's incredible growth for the soul through pain. Mm-hmm. And pain is a program. The nerve endings, they'll react, they'll communicate at a heightened level. Mm-hmm. And you can fear that or you can go, okay. Clearly, I'm learning something here, which is what the stillbirth taught me. Sure. Because when I was birthing you, I mean, you were my first child and the labor was in fucking tense. It was just like, oh, my God. And then I found that my, you know, my ego was bargaining for time. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me catch my breath here before the next wave comes in until Dr. Liz is like, you need to stop stalling because the longer that you stall this, the less you dilate and you want your cervix to dilate. You want that baby out. And I'm like, I'm having a hard time breathing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whereas that experience of birthing you really prepared me for the birth of Mars. Whereas I no longer did that. I was like, all right, I'm ready now. Come on, come on, baby, come on Mm -hmm. out. And with each contraction, I was then did the exact opposite, and I was like, "I'm no longer fearing this. Pain's mm-hmm. gonna come with this. That's true. Pain yeah. comes pain with this. Is inevitable. And what the yeah. pain of childbirth 
gives you a great reward because, mm-hmm. and there's the rush you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The great reward is when you say, I accept this pain that my body is being literally pried open in the most bone crunching way. And this is so intense and I'm changing. My body's changing. I'm changing. I'm morphing. And then all of a sudden, I mean, in Mars, you're all born under the water. You weren't fully born under the water, but Mars popped out, literally just popped out. And it was just like, oh, that rush of relief. Like when you go down from the top of a roller coaster, you're like, oh my God. And it's such a rush. It's the same experience when you are giving birth naturally. Mm. I didn't give birth in a hospital. Mm-hmm. I was never cut open. All I've only experienced natural childbirth, including the stillbirth. I have only experienced natural childbirth. So that's the mm-hmm. only reference I can speak from. Yeah. But when that baby's shoulders come out and then the baby pops out and you're just like, all I I wasn't thinking how freaking tired I was. I wasn't thinking about the pain. I instantly was like, "Where's the baby? Yeah. What does she look like? What does he look like? What? Oh, let me see his face or her face." That's all I cared about. Same with Kyan. Painful birth, long, arduous, and you kids were like, "Where is he?" And blah blah blah. And Man, he came out and it was painful. And then as soon as he was out, I was like, oh my God, I did this. And look at this baby. And that's how I learned that pain and fear are two separate things. And you can put fear into pain and then it's going to be harder to learn what pain is teaching you. Sure. Because to be human in 3D is to experience pain. Absolutely. We want to experience pain. It's transformative. Formative. It's a very Scorpio thing. Scorpio. That's true. It's very. It's very, very in line with our Moon and Scorpio today. That's that's funny. Yeah. No. You you are absolutely right, and that is an important distinction to make. Is pain is inevitable, and fear is a choice. And so that definitely, I definitely agree with that. I definitely reframed my original thought under that ideology once you said that so yeah like i have no interest in fear and i really don't fear much mm-hmm. there are still some fears mm-hmm. they're tiny for me mm-hmm. part of that again is because i'm middle-aged technically mm-hmm. i've had enough life under my under my belt so to speak that i realize everything's gonna work out like it's mm-hmm. okay yeah. You go through enough algorithms that you're like, hey, you know what? Clearly, the universe does have my back. Sure. I've never been homeless. Uh-huh. We're all well fed. Everybody's good. Kids grow up. You know, like, let's, let's focus on some fun now. Yeah. Pain's going to happen. So what are you going to do the next time pain rolls around? These, these upgrades, they've happened to me since I was seven. Mm-hmm. All right, so there an upgrade will come. What are you going to do? Well, my ego usually fights it. Mm-hmm. No, I got to keep working out. No, I got to keep cleaning. No, I got to go make money. You know what? When you're upgrading, go to bed mm-hmm. and freaking roll with it. Yeah. And like it's okay. The bills will get paid. Everybody will be fine. Oh man, I have I have gone through that line of thought so many times. The uh cuz yeah, especially if you have a mentality that seeks to um I guess if you just have a very strong ego, and I feel like you and I are people who have very strong egos with strong wills. That, we do. That want to enact change in situations and, and form, you know, new things and, 
and and basically leave an impact, an imprint, right? So those are the types of egos that we have. And those types of egos definitely have a harder time just kind of allowing, especially if the experience does not align with what the ego necessarily wants in the moment. It is required from my experience and not just from this life, but I remember a lot of other lives. Mm-hmm. Know of a lot of other lives that I'm having is to come into third dimensional, third density human life. You have to have a strong ego if you want to make change. Yes. The ego is essential for discovery because that's why as source, we created the ego. We cannot discover anything new without the ego. Mm-hmm. That's its purpose. And in order to come here and make these big impacts, these big waves, you have to have the ego for that. Mm-hmm. It has to look new. It has to be exciting. It has to be big and bold and bright and boisterous. I mean, if we look at celebrities, look at celebrities, politicians, way showers, people who have had a major impact and changed literally the trajectory of the collective consciousness, mm-hmm. massive egos. Absolutely. Massive oh, yeah. egos. And they have to. Yep. They have to. They have changed the flavor of an entire collective. Michael Jackson has a, and I say has because he still exists. He has to have a huge ego. Look at, look at the change that he created on this planet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Major Martin Luther King Jr. had a wicked ego. Mm-hmm. There were things that we do not know about what was going on behind the scenes. Well, and, I, and also I think it's very important, though, you should make a distinction here. It, ego does not necessarily mean that you're an evil person making evil choices. Not so at this, all. The, I, I want to eliminate this underlying theme of like big ego and power means conspiracy because that's not at all the case. No. Martin Luther King Jr.'s large ego does not refer to him necessarily being an evildoer behind the scenes. It refers to him simply having the authoritative personality to say, I am not going to stand for what's happening in the way that it is right now. And I believe that I am capable of making the change that I want to see. That's the type of big ego that makes changes. That's the changes. type of big ego. That's what I was referring to. Absolutely. Is behind the scenes, what we saw from him on the podium was the part of himself. It was Capricorn, after mm-hmm. all. We saw the part of him he prepared to show. And I don't know mm-hmm. what his Jupiter was. I have sure, not looked at his sure. chart fully. But that's why I brought those two particular powerful influencers up. Mm-hmm. is because both of them, I see, I perceive both Michael Jackson and Martin Luther King Jr. as intending from the heart. Absolutely. They had great passion for themselves and for humanity. They wanted to make change for humanity. And behind the scenes, there was a lot of ego that they were wrestling with 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 themselves. Absolutely. Now Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter has actually talked about it a couple of times in interviews and mm-hmm. said, Yeah, he was he was he was he was fighting depression and anxiety. I bet. Well, number one, he was the, I mean, there's always a hit on his life. Right. So he knew that the powers that be, he knew the bankers were out to to assassinate him, to kill him, right. which they did. And he knew that. Yeah. He knew he had a finite amount of time to do as much change as he possibly could. Michael Jackson had the same thing. Yeah. Just in a different way. Yep. And I bring both, both of them up because they literally had heart love intentions. Yeah. 
And they wouldn't have the longevity that they have if they didn't. But there were things that were said about them that I feel were untrue. Mm-hmm. What Michael Jackson was accused of, mm-hmm. that was the shadow aspect playing out. And mm-hmm. we know that in 3D, shadow has to play out because Absolutely. that's how we learn is through duality. And I don't know what went on in Michael Jackson's private life, nor do I care. Mm-hmm. I really don't care what he did. but. I see that he had heart intentions and then I see that there's a shadow play out that came in of he's a pedophile. Mm-hmm. He's blah, blah, blah. And it's like, why can't he just be a heart-based person that's mm-hmm. just really loving and huge influencer? Mm-hmm. Why did, why was he accused of being a pedophile? Where did that come from? What was the origin of that? Mm. I don't know what, where the origin of that was, but like, those are the little hidden things. Those are the aspects of ego that I'm like, all right, there's an ego play out here. Huge change. He wanted to discover new things. And then maybe, maybe his ego went too far and created that kind of ripple mm-hmm. in his life. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. And it, it could definitely be. I, I do find that especially, uh, especially presently, it almost seems to me as though there's a lot of figures like for example Gandhi is another person who is experiencing in in the current framing of Gandhi throughout history uh he's kind of his shadow is being looked at and scrutinized a lot more heavily nowadays than it ever was uh and i i really feel as though i really feel as though younger generation is is having a harder time accepting its shadow currently because there it is that's yeah. it that statement yeah. say that again younger generations are having a harder time accepting their shadow yes and that's what needs to be we have to accept the shadow mm-hmm. in order to ascend into the fourth dimensional perception. Absolutely. We have to enjoy 3D. Absolutely. We have to love where we're at and we do have to love shadow and we have to love all aspects of dark. Mm-hmm. And, but we're judging our darkness. Very heavily. And I, I, I really feel as though it is so interesting to me that the there is this kind of framing of, of a lot of these, these uh, large egoed and very influential figures that seeks to look at all of the, the hidden shadowed aspects of them over the effects that they created in the world. I would say that the beautiful effects that Gandhi had on his people on a macro level politically to me that's just as worth observing as you know his misogyny and and all of the things that he did that were not so great i don't really seek to view any figure as a saint i think that they're all people and I am not interested in diminishing the positive effects of anyone simply because they also showed negativity. I think everyone is capable of both. And to me, the beauty of 
developing a large ego is in the large scale effect that it can have both positive and negative on the world. And a lot of the people that were more positively inclined to do great outward change did tend to subdue their more their more dark aspects and those aspects seem to affect more of their private life. I just don't necessarily think that it's wise to um to only focus on those negative aspects. Because to me, that is really just dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing both to the the political or public figure, and it is dehumanizing for the person that is then looking at that political figure and saying, "Oh well, I can't, I can't like Gandhi. I can't be anything like Gandhi because he he treated women badly, and that's that's not that just doesn't." You know, I know, and you also can't take you the the thing that any generation really needs to look at this. Again, you look at this from the wide shot. Mm-hmm. You'll pull back and you see this through universe's eyes. Mm-hmm. Is we all come here to experience our darkness mm-hmm. because it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. The ego is necessary for discovery. Um, there's in, in 3D, in third dimensional and older yoga lineages, the ego is viewed as evil, bad, awful, get rid of the ego, eliminate it. Mm-hmm. No. There's no way. We you can't. can't. Yeah. It's not possible. We have to have the ego. And I see that as coming from fear. Mm-hmm. Because as a yogi and as, as a yoga teacher, and I was certified through a studio, and I was under Yoga Alliance's umbrella for many, many years. And I see that that old lineage of yoga philosophy, and it, it really, it's not heart-based. Mm-hmm. It's not heart-centered. And I see us coming into a new space of yoga that really is about the union. It really is about loving all aspects of yourself. And for any generation, they must understand that everybody, just like you said, everyone is human and is here to experience all aspects of themselves. Gandhi lived in a time when masculine was dominant. He wasn't fighting for women's rights. Mm -hmm. He was fighting for his people's rights. Mm -hmm. He, first of all, he was, he was a lawyer. Mm Mm-hmm. He was an attorney in India. Mm-hmm. And second, he was just trying to get his people to have their own voice over the British oppression. Mm-hmm. And whether or not that was about men or women is beside the point. He was fighting for his whole country. Mm-hmm. He was also living in a time when women were still totally suppressed. The, the feminine was not honored. So... Okay, he had some problems. Look at look at all the beauty that he he created. Look at all the wonderful things that he did. He's having a human experience. He had a human experience. If I'm speaking in linear time mm-hmm. time frame, um, yeah, we're I it's I feel like it's the it's the soul's fear when we judge people for having the full human spectral of of experience in a life. I don't know where the looking for perfection is coming from, I honestly. I mean, the only thing that comes to mind as I say that I literally saw, I literally heard come from above the church comes from the church. 
And it's coming yeah. from perhaps the leaders of those times, the royalty that were collecting all the money and taxing. And they created the church because Yeshua, who we think of as Jesus, did not create the church. Mm-hmm. None of the ascended masters created mm-hmm. the church. They wouldn't create the church. They weren't about that. I, I mean, I even think it's pretty common knowledge in in Christianity that Jesus was not the creator of the church. No. I mean, it's in the Bible. Jesus was Jewish. He was a Jew. He was a mystic. He was an Essene as well. And the Essenes came out of the Egyptian mystery schools. Mm -hmm. So it's coming from this. the, The only thing that I always get from within and from above is it's we lowered our vibration so much and went through the veil of forgetfulness that we forgot that we are source. We forgot that we're allness, oneness. And fear was the result of that, the separation. And then I have to control everybody and blah, blah, blah. And therefore, hey, you're acting that way. You're being, you're trying to be individual. Mm-hmm. You're not believing what we're believing. Therefore, we're going to condemn you. You're bad. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. We're going to torture you. We're going to give you the worst death ever. So you never do this again. Mm-hmm. Because the early ones who created the church, they knew that reincarnation was a reality. Mm-hmm. Reincarnation was openly spoken about. It's only when the church was created that suddenly reincarnation was, let's take that out. Let's not put that in there. Let's not mm-hmm. let everybody know. Let's keep cycling this until we get them to believe this. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I mean, I think... I think that for a very, very long time, humans have had a sort of rose-colored tint about people. And I think that the church definitely did help create this idea of an all-moral being, right? A person who perfectly aligns with whatever somebody believes is the current most virtuous ideals and and because morals and ideals change over time because because i mean we as as humans are are learning a lot still and so we we learn that like things affect us negatively in different ways as we grow as the world changes as new things become aware and now we are aware of so much more information. And this is, I think, a very impactful thing that is starting to kind of shift people's ideology in, in a very noticeable way. We have access to more information about everything than people have ever had before. Before, like, we can think all the way back to a time where it was just villages and the people were just aware of who it was that they liked and did not like in their village, who they thought the most moral and virtuous people were in their village. Perhaps there were legends of people that were created from far off lands and whatever, but it's rare that you'll ever really ever encounter any of those people. It's rare that you'll ever know a whole lot about them. All you know are stories and the people that are around you, right? We still have that same thing today, but the stories and the amount of people that we are exposed to is amplified exponentially through the internet, 
through the sheer amount of people that exist on this planet. So we are aware of more positive and negative experiences than we've ever been aware of before. That has a tendency from what I've seen to erode a core concept of morality. So there is not really a centralized system of morality big enough to cover that many people. The church isn't even capable of it. They're not big enough, nor are they strong enough to say to everyone in the world, this is what morality is. People disagree. People people think differently. And so we have this like microcosm of of moral scale and you're seeing people separate into different subgroups and those different subgroups are interacting and and testing each other's moral senses and and so I think this is really where a lot of the the difficulty to accept comes from because if you think of what it's like to be a a child in a developmental stage growing up in this world, all that's happening really is you're just being exposed to constant, different opinion. There's not really one opinion that's made to be better than others. It's just people saying, this is my view, and they're saying it really strongly, or they're saying it in a way that's kind of wishy-washy, right? And so, and there's a lot, it's just every day, that constantly. So, how is someone to form their own moral sense off of that if they are nece- like not everyone is a strongly moral person some people it takes a long time for them to form some people are a little bit they have like less moral boundaries they're more easily influenced so now in this age of like abundance of just constant stimuli moral stimuli it's like it makes sense that people are even less accepting than they were in previous generations because there's just too much. There's too much to see. There's too much to be aware of. For one ego, that is a lot of stuff to take in, which I think is why you see the more influential people being the ones who put out a message of, you just got to shut it all out and focus on yourself. That's the message from successful people today. Shut it all out, focus on yourself. That's where this, that's why people in power tend to be more narcissistic because to get to power, you've got to just focus intensely on yourself. And the more you focus on yourself, the more you develop your own core moral concept, the more that strengthens, the more you can push that onto the world because you develop beliefs that are resolute. Resolute is very hard to come by in a world where you're just constantly being shoveled over other people's opinions all day. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. It's, again, everything, and as you're sharing all of this, and I'm like, I'm watching you, and I can see you, and I'm watching your auric field just kind of move around, and colors move around. It, it, it's bringing me back again into everything is now. We are the creator of our own reality, and all creation is amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if it's dark. It doesn't matter if it's light because it all is. Yes. It all is. And we are here to create whatever it is that we want to experience. And we are here to co-create whatever it is we want to experience as a collective. Right now, currently, as we're still in this scandemic, we want, we co-created it. We wanted to experience the level of our own fear. We wanted to release our fear simultaneously. So we created a situation where 
all that fear has to be brought up to the surface because we are desiring to experience something much greater than that. Yes. And the fear had to be released. And all of the judgment, like we're talking about all these people and suddenly there's these shadow parts of them that are being exposed publicly. Gandhi, Michael Jackson, Martin Luther King Jr., Mother Teresa, she harvested babies. I went to Brazil, the John of God. He was, you know, oh, he's a baby harvester. I don't know. I didn't see those aspects of those people. Is it possible? Sure. Anything's possible in the human spectrum. You push a human far enough, you give up, you entice a human enough and the ego has got enough control. Mm-hmm. You never know what a human's going to do. Absolutely. Just and look we're at here to Jeffrey experience. Epstein. Yes. <laughs> Number one example. Yes. Right there. We're yeah. here to experience, but we have to release the judgment of it because judgment is the fear of going to those extreme places to create extreme experiences. And all of it comes into, and when you were sharing that with me, I heard multiple times coming from above and going down into my heart, the internet is a physical manifestation of the Akashic records. Yeah. Absolutely. The internet is a physical manifestation. You all wanted more access to your own records. And therefore, you physically manifested the internet. And you're taking it in bits and pieces because you can literally get all information on the World Wide Web. It's all yep. there. Yep. And how did it suddenly get there? Because we all decided we were going to put all of ourselves into it. Yep. And put it out there. And that's the Akash. Mm-hmm. Everything that all beings have ever done is recorded. Yeah. And you have access to it, but we forgot how to have access to it. The internet is the physical access to it. Absolutely. And it's about understanding where my ego needs to play out here and where do I then need to come in and go, you know what, ego, you're limiting me. You need to come back into the heart center as a soul, as perception. I'm here to go to that extreme. I want to experience that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to experience a stillbirth in my life or it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I learned so much more compassion and I was pretty damn compassionate before that stillbirth. Mm-hmm. But I learned so much more compassion And as I've shared with you many times, I, of course, magnetically then attract many women who have had stillbirths and I've been able to help them heal through it. Mm -hmm. Every experience that I have had in my life that has been so heavy and dark and very shadow, and I've worked through my fears in them. I mean, I'm a person who works through my fears in this life. As you know, I am not interested in sitting in fear. Mm -hmm. This is a life to conquer fear. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a life to conquer so that we can co-create a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Gemini stellium. Mm-hmm. So everything that, and I set up an intense life for myself. This has not been a subtle life. And mm-hmm. it's about, you know, how, how can I overcome my fear in that? You know, my husband strangled me practically to death in front of my ch- three children. Mm-hmm. Okay, how could we overcome that? And how can I still love him and still talk with him? Absolutely. How my sister died in my arms of non-smokers lung cancer. All right. How could we heal through that? Yes. How could we gain insight on that and then help that, use that to help others? My brother abandoned the family. How can I use that to help other people and say, you know what? There's triumph in this. There's beauty Absolutely. in this. 
all of it. If you cannot overcome it, then you're absolutely right. At the end of your life, you are really just going to be disappointed. Yes. I would probably say that Gandhi left his life pretty satisfied that mm-hmm. I made a big change. It didn't go, man, I was, I was oppressing women. Mm-hmm. No, maybe he came in, maybe he's already come back in, and maybe he's a woman in this life mm-hmm. to remedy that. Martin Luther King Jr., you know, he, I'm sure he did not leave that body after it was shot on that balcony and go, oh, I missed that. Yeah. No, I have a feeling he was pretty darn satisfied with the changes that he'd made. Same with Michael Jackson. You know what's interesting? I um, <laughs> I've I've looked into this a little bit um, over the course of different like I've I've studied different influential people's deaths to some degree, and uh, I remember I think it was Steve Jobs. Had a really interesting sort of deathbed experience. Oh, his was like really like a to- like a like a movie, like episodic. A lot of these very influential people do have stuff like. Oh that. yeah, like his death was like very profound. His was like I I remember, and I I hope I'm remembering correctly, but I think it's he's on his deathbed, and his last words were something like, he just let out like a sigh, and he was like. Wow. Oh, yeah. No, I'd read that too, that he did yeah. a big wow. Yeah. And I didn't follow his death experience at all. I've only seen little bits and pieces of it over the years. I mean, I, I don't know if there's like, I'm, I'm not aware of any like drama surrounding his death. I'm just talking about like, I enjoy reading about the, like what it was like, to, like what were these people's last words? What were their expressions like? Because I want to know. Living a big life like that, does that have any influence on the way and on how satisfied you are with your death? Are you more satisfied with your life on your deathbed if you've lived a big life versus a non-impactful life? Or does it just not matter at all? Really, I have, I have no idea. And there's no way to glean that information from these people's experiences. But well, I do that's find not true. It- there is quantum healing. I mean, this is what I do in my sessions with QHHT and BQH. We literally regress the client to lives to find mm. out how they are impacting their mm. current life. And they get to go through that death experience. And mm. it is very real and it's very powerful. I've done it myself multiple yeah. times. And I'm like, oh, I mean, like I've, I've had lives where I'm just a farmer and mm. I've left my life and I've been very satisfied because I went into that life to learn to love myself more right. or to learn different to learn perseverance people who have had a very episodic life people who've who have had a life where it's very tragic they went into that life to learn the opposite of that yeah it's very much of an opposition thing people that when we live lives and we all live these lives dolores cannon called it the um pick and potatoes life oh yeah that's yeah a good way of when you're it. just yeah. a life where oh yeah you're gonna fight you're gonna find you're gonna regress your client to some of those lives where they're just a potato farmer and they're just yeah. picking potatoes and yeah. you really just want to accelerate them through the tasks so they'll they'll literally just go into a scene where they're just picking potatoes and eating dinner with a meal eating a family dinner and all of that and and she said you really want to kind of accelerate them through that life to get to the death to find out 
what are they learning about themselves in that life? And you're going to find it really had nothing to do with picking potatoes. Right, absolutely. I really wanted to learn how to soften. I wanted to learn how to receive. I wanted to learn because the life prior to that was a very episodic life. It was a life where, oh my God, a saber-toothed tiger was running after me and punctured my left lung. And that's why I have left lung issues in this life. And the life after that is I really wanted a life where I just had this calmness. I wanted to be relaxed. I wanted to experience what it is like to just have a family, to be married to the same person for 55 years, to be surrounded on my deathbed with my entire family. Everybody loves me. There, We want to go through those kind of lives because then lives after that, if you didn't learn how to speak up for yourself, you're going to choose a life that's way more intense where mm-hmm. you're like, I have to speak up for myself (laughs) now. You cannot stab me. No, no, no. Yeah. You know, and like you're being chased by a mob and, you know, you're, you're, people are trying to gang rape you and that's Mm -hmm. a way for you to have to learn how to speak your truth. Mm -hmm. And that's why. Yeah. That's why we have those lives. Absolutely. And yes, we can. Past life regression is a real thing and it's an amazing thing. That makes tool. sense. I guess you you I mean, answered, you had a QHHT you answered my session question. You answered my my question there. Um it's I guess f- what I was thinking was more so like the amount of people that you impact in your life, does that have any implication on the satisfaction that you feel or lack of satisfaction? Or is it more so just entirely based on what it is that you gained? Like for like, and so this is where, and I, I did kind of have, have that answered when I was studying this sort of thing too. Like for someone like Steve Jobs, right? Huge life impacted a ton of people. One of the biggest like 21st century personalities that we've had, right? Like billionaire status. Who knows what he was up to or what he was doing outside of his public image, right? And I wanted to know like, does any of that stuff have any effect on how satisfied he feels with his life? Or is it all about what are my relationships with the people around me and how do I feel on a day-to-day basis? And the conclusion that I came to is that it's more so about how am I feeling and what have I taken away from the things around me, not necessarily caring about the impact that I've had as like a grandiose sort of like ego persona more so just like how have i and to me it was almost like reading in and and about his death seemed i could imagine him coming to that understanding and that being like a oh my god kind of moment like a because i had read that it was he was just surrounded by his family and he was just looking at them and that was when he was he like let out his last words he was like something like wow or oh my god just like looking at them like oh my god you know no absolutely um We go into lives, and this is not only from my own near-death experience that I had in 2015 and my out-of-body experiences that show you that, but this is also from my own quantum healing sessions I've had personally and from facilitating as many as I have now over the years. We are always going into a life to learn about ourselves. It's all about self-love. It's all about learning about different components about yourself, always. So you choose masculine lives because you want to learn more about the masculine polarity. You choose feminine lives because you want to learn more about the feminine polarity. 
You choose lives where you are homosexual as a transition from masculine to feminine or feminine to masculine. Mm-hmm. That is very accounted for. And and Dolores Cannon, she found that. I found that in my own sessions. The life before this one, I was a gay male. Mm-hmm. It was a transition. I had almost all masculine lives before that. It was a transition into me being female in this life. Um, everything has a purpose for the soul to learn about itself because as source, we want to learn about ourselves in the most unique way. Yeah. We want, we come into a life, an individual life to be as individual as possible from the collective and still understand and experience that we are all one. Yeah. But we come in to be as different as possible. And so all of them, Steve Jobs was probably like, I mean, I would, I would speculate that his, oh, wow, or oh, my God, or whatever he said as his last words was like, I get it. Yeah. This is all me. Yeah. I get it. I get why I came here. Oh, my gosh. That was like his life review as he was leaving his body. They're all me and I'm all them. There is no separation. It's time for me to go out. Right. And then you go to life review with your guides. Yeah. You, everybody has life review as soon as they're done with their body. Some people, some souls float around a little while. Some souls are too attached and get stuck in mm-hmm. between realms. That happens. Mm-hmm. But everybody has to do life review. You want to. You want to do life review because we want to learn more things about ourselves. And the ego will say, oh, this is too hard. I'm not coming back. This is my last life. I've said that myself. We can't wait to get back in once we're out. (laughs) It's a rush to get out. It's a rush to come in. And we can't wait because it's exciting and fun to be here. Yeah. Yes, being murdered is an exciting and fun experience. Oh, yeah. There it is. It is from, and you have to think, you can't think about it from the perspective of what, like, you feel like if you are being murdered. You have to think about it from the perspective of, okay, well, after I've been murdered, then I go to a place where there is none of that going on. There is no sense of excitement. There is no sense of stimulation in that way. There's no feeling in that way. It's everything and nothing at once. So... You don't get the variance that you'd get in your life. So yeah, and enough time spent in what seems to be eternity, just kind of, you know, okay, I'm here. It's I'm like, just being. Then the you want to construct a story. And yeah, the horrible feeling of being of being brutally murdered is something that we desire to construct. We do, and we all experience it here on this planet. No soul that has been on this planet, at least 50 lives on this planet, not one soul does not experience hardship, famine, murder, rape, masculine, feminine, child slavery, human slavery, adult slavery, being all the spectrum of the races, all of it. We experience all of it coming here. This planet was designed as a playground for us to experience and for diversity. Yeah. And we could not wait. We volunteered to come here. We all did. We could not wait to get here. 
And the only way that you can be on this planet is if you are ex experienced enough as a soul from other planets and other star systems. You can't come to this planet if you're not experienced enough because it's a hard planet to do. Yeah. It's really hard. But this is a planet that really fosters compassion, empathy, and understanding. Absolutely. And you have to have that in order to be in other planets. We desire this as source. We desire this to understand ourselves through. Thank you, everyone who has listened, uh, who's been keeping up with us. I'm excited to bring you more episodes. Um, we have three more of this sort of like first five episode run that we did, and then we are going to uh, start recording new episodes. So you may hear some changes for the better. If you'd like to know more about who we are and what we do, you can follow us on Instagram at One Long Conversation. We also have a Patreon page, which will be linked in the Instagram, and uh, you can support us on there if you want to see us grow and develop and see your own growth and development as well. Thank you all very much. I appreciate and love you all. Have a good rest of your day.